Hello, and welcome to the Sunnybrook online service for September 20th. First of all, if you have any needs, if you're new to the church or if you've been here and you need something from this community of believers, feel free to always text CONNECT to the number provided so that we can get in touch with you. We know that with this COVID pandemic, sometimes we can feel a bit distant, but please don't feel that way. If you have any needs, please connect through that number. You know, God made us to worship and to be together in community. And during this pandemic, that has looked a bit different. But whether you're at home or in church, we are a community worshiping together. So grab some communion, get a comfortable seat, and prepare to worship in community with our church as we dive deeper into the Psalms. the grave. 
Today's reading will be from Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. I'm severely afflicted. Lord, give me life according to your word. Lord, please accept my free will offerings of praise and teach me your judgments. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. This is the, Lord, the word of the Lord. I still remember that moment 10 years ago as I rounded the corner onto our street in our neighborhood there. And in my 95 Chevy Corsica and, and pulling up in front of our house and then beginning to make my way up the driveway when all of a sudden uh, the engine just gave out. All the power just kind of went away in that moment. And then this uh, large uh, plume of white smoke just curled out from under the hood of the car. Now, I, I did not know a lot about cars back then. Actually, I still don't know really anything about cars, if I'm honest. Uh, but at that time, I, I knew like nothing. And, and so I had no idea what was going on and what, any idea what was actually causing this giant uh, cloud to come up from my car engine. But I knew it had to be bad. Uh, later, I would find out that it was a result of a warped cylinder head which was the result of the engine overheating, which was the result of there being no coolant in the engine. And here's kind of the, the bad thing about that is, is I, I actually knew about the no coolant thing. I actually had been told that there was a leak in, in our engine there, that the coolant was leaking and that I needed to be checking the levels on that regularly. I, I knew that I was supposed to be topping that off. I knew that I, I was supposed to be watching the thermostat to see if the engine is overheating, but I, I neglected to do all of that. Because, I don't know, in, in my mind, I, I found myself thinking, how important is that really, right? Like, I mean, I know, I know coolant matters. I know it's important, but, but is it that big of a deal? I mean, in the, in the end, right, there's all kinds of fluid in, in the engine, right? There's oil, there's gas, there's uh, windshield wiper fluid and power steering fluid. What, what does it matter if one of them's a little low? And uh, it turns out that it, it really does matter. It matters a lot, actually. You see, there are some things that I learned that are just too important to neglect too critical to leave behind, to go without, like, like coolant and an engine. An engine cannot continue to function without coolant in it. Plants cannot grow without water to bring them life. Human bodies cannot survive without food, without nutrition. And you and I, our lives 
cannot be sustained, cannot thrive without this book. Now, you might find yourself thinking that that last one I just mentioned doesn't quite fit in the same category as the other three. Like those other three, that's, that's really serious stuff. I mean, uh, if I don't eat, if, if, if plants, if vegetation never gets water, those things are going to die, right? I mean, engines got to have cooling. But, but, but the truth is we can, we can make it without this. It may not be the best, right? But I mean, this is, it's not like critical for my life. It's not something I need in order to, to keep going. The truth is I think I tend to do this at least. I think a lot of the Bible like I think of coolant or like I used to think of coolant. That is really important, yes, really important, and good for me, yes, just like coolant is good for an engine. But, but you know, how important is it really? I think it's easy in a day and age where we feel so busy, in a day and age when it's hard to find time to sit down for very long at all, it's very easy for us to sometimes think or at least live as though this may not be as critical as it really is. And that's why when we come to Psalm 119 and we read the words that are penned in that poem, they can honestly seem a little bit foreign to us. Maybe, if we're, if we're being real, maybe a little over the top, a little strange. The way the psalmist writes about the scriptures, the kinds of sentiments that he expresses about the word of God seem so far out, so almost exaggerated. It, it just seems odd to us, I think. Psalm 119 is a scripture about scripture. It, it has the distinction of being actually the longest psalm, the longest chapter in all the Bible, coming in at 176 verses, almost twice as long as the next longest one. So it's huge. It also has this very interesting distinction, and that is an acrostic poem. And, and uh, it's, it's written with 22 different stanzas. Each of those 22 stanzas corresponds with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and so it works like this, that the first stanza, which is made up of eight lines, all of them are made up of eight lines, the first stanza um, corresponds with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. And every line in that stanza begins with the same letter, Aleph. And then the second stanza corresponds with the second letter of the alphabet, Bet. And every line of that poem or that stanza begins with that same letter, Bet. There are 22 of these going all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. That's one of the reasons it's so long. But, but all of them, all 22 of them, have basically the same three or four themes that run all the way through them. And, and that is, in them, we will see the, the author talk about uh, the importance, the value of God's Word, how much he loves God's Word. And then you will see, uh, oftentimes, he'll talk about hardship or difficulty that he's experiencing in his life. Which brings us back to the fourth, which is that in spite of the hardship or difficulty, he is committed to holding on to the Word of God. Those three, four kind of ideas you'll see come up over and over again in Psalm 119. It's a big one that gets repeated through and through. Um, so the question that I want us to work through today is why? Why is it that the psalmist 
can speak so highly, so gushingly about the Word of God for so many verses? Why is it that he can talk about how much hardship and how hectic and crazy his life is, and yet in the midst of it, he refuses to let go of this? He clings to this like a life raft. What is it that he sees in it that, that maybe I don't sometimes? If you want to go with me to Psalm 119, we're not going to read through all of it because there just wouldn't be enough time in our message to be able to go through all 176 verses. Instead, we're just going to take one section of it, um, uh, starting in verse 105. We're going to go from 105 to 112 today. I want to read this to you. Let's read the first uh, three or four verses there. He says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. I am severely afflicted. Yahweh, give me life according to your word. Yahweh, please accept my free will offerings of praise and teach me your judgments. So this little section of the poem, this stanza, starts out with this phrase here. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Um, one of the ideas that the writer wants to get across here is this, that the Word of God is too important to neglect. And it's hard for us to catch kind of the, the idea of that word picture today. In a day of electricity and neon signs and billboards lit up all along the highway, it's hard today to ever really experience true darkness. We don't ever worry about that in our house because we can always see a light switch is within reach at all times, a lamp, a nightlight, or if nothing else, our phone and the screens so we can see our way around. Do you remember, though, maybe you can't, the last time you actually experienced true darkness, true, can't see your hand in front of your face, pitch black darkness. This is the idea that the psalmist is trying to convey here. In, in his day, this was a regular occurrence. Uh, every night there weren't lights out. There weren't street lights out on the edge for them to see. Every night, if the moon was behind the clouds, if it wasn't lit up bright enough, or if you were in your home or in some sort of building, there was no hope of seeing even your way out in front of you without some sort of lamp or light with you to guide your way. And this is what he's trying to convey when he says that the Word of God is like a lamp to his feet. He's not saying it's convenient. He's not saying it, it helps me, you know, find tools in my shed. I can pull my flashlight out and look through it. No, he's saying I can't make my way forward without it. I'm lost without it. I can't see my hand in front of my face. I need this that much. That's the idea that he's trying to convey in this. And, and this sentiment is actually repeated over and over again in this chapter. Like in verse 11, where he says this, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. As if I, if I don't bring it into me, then I will fall into sin. Or verse 28, I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. Or verse 66, teach me good judgment and discernment for I rely on your commands. I am dependent on your word. I'm dependent on your commands and your laws. And in case you're wondering, it's not just him. Actually, the, the whole Bible 
seems to talk like this about the Bible, all these different authors in it. Jesus himself says that it is by the scriptures that we live. Matthew 4, 4, when he's tempted in the wilderness uh, by Satan to turn uh, rocks into bread, he says this man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The interesting thing there is, is that that's actually scripture that Jesus is quoting. So he's quoting scripture to describe the importance of scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be, here's this word, complete, whole, equipped for every good work. Psalm 19.7 puts it like this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. When the writers of the scriptures and when the psalmist in 119 looks at the word of God, he sees something more than just rules. He sees something more than just helpful instructions or just inspiring thoughts or wisdom or principles that can help me kind of keep my life in order. No, in this book, he sees something critical. He sees God um, breaking through into the darkness and revealing his heart to me, revealing his will to me so that I can know the way to go, so that I can know what he wants. He sees the light of heaven, the light of the living God shining down on his path to know what he ought to do. And he says, I need this. Several years ago, uh, Jim and myself began meeting on a weekly basis with this young man who is a student here at OSU. And uh, this all started when this young man's father called Jim randomly uh, one day. His father's from out of town, I think Dallas area, and, and called Jim one day and said, I'm concerned about my son and I'm wondering if you might be able to meet with him. And uh, this young man, it turns out, was battling uh, deep and heavy depression to the point of like suicidal thoughts. He was wrestling with some major doubts over his faith and over God and his goodness. And that was resulting in not just depression, but anxiety about his life and, and struggling to see his way forward in life. And so, so G, uh, Jim said, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll meet with him. And, and they met and, and talked for a little bit. And, and, and Jim brought up this book, The, the Myth of Certainty, which is all about, um, it's kind of this philosophical book about faith and doubt and about how we can have confidence in, in, in God and, and, and in the Christian faith and those things. He said, I think that this would be a really good book for you. And so he and this uh, young man, he gave a book to him and he and this young man kind of parted ways and read it. And then they got back together to meet. And Jim said, what did you think? Isn't it good? Was it, didn't you find that to be like helpful for you and kind of reassuring? Kind of give me some of your thoughts. And, and the young man looked at him and said, I mean, it was good, sure. But I was, I was kind of just hoping that maybe we could read the Bible together. And uh, Jim thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. Uh, and, and, and I remember him coming and finding me and telling me this story. I appreciated his own humility, his own willingness to admit, this isn't where I turned. Because I would have done the same thing. If someone comes to me and says, I'm struggling with doubts, fine, man, I got, I got apologetics books for you. I got philosophical books for you. I got some articles for you. That, that would be the first thing I might want to go to. But what this man asked for, what he ended up needing, he said, was the word of God. And so, so Jim and I began to meet with him each week, walking through the gospel of Mark. 
just exploring the stories of Jesus. And it was incredible to watch the way that God's Word, the Bible, along with prayer, along with the community of God's people, but to watch the way that the Bible just changed this man's life. That I think the words that I might use to describe it would be that it revived his soul. It was incredible. And yet, so often, I think, when we encounter difficulties or problems in our lives or in the lives of others, we're so quick to turn to so many other things, good things, things that feel maybe a little bit more practical than the Bible, a little bit more relevant to our lives than the Bible. But the, the consistent testimony of the people of God is that this is what we need most, that this has the power to sustain us and change us and revive us, that this is what we ought to rely on, that we cannot neglect it. The psalmist believed that. It's too important to neglect. But that's not all he believed. He also believes that it's too good to neglect. Turn with me and let's finish the rest of this psalm. In verse 109, he says this, My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instructions. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. So there's that theme again. I'm going through hardship. I'm going through difficulty, but I will not wander away. I will not abandon your word. And here's why. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. The psalmist says, this word of yours, these commands of yours, they are far, it is far too good to neglect. It is far too wonderful to neglect. No matter how hard or crazy my life is, he says, I don't just need it. I, I want it. I, I desire it. I, I crave it and, and, and delight in it. And this is confirmed throughout the psalm. If you read all the way through 119, you'll see him say that over and over and over again in verses like uh, verse 35 where he says this, help me stay on the path of your commands for I take pleasure in it. Or verse 47, I delight in your commands, which I love. Or verse 103, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Or verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commands. And this one, if I'm honest, is a little bit tougher for me. Like I can I can totally agree with and get behind the idea that the Word of God is really important. Even if my life maybe doesn't always look that way, I, I agree with the fact that this book is critical for us, but, but this idea that it's not just important, but that it's good, um, that it's joy-filled, that it's exciting, that it's beautiful, that, that one doesn't always come as naturally to me, I'll have to admit. I think actually that I've often been guilty. I told some friends recently, I think I've been guilty a lot of times of talking about the Bible like I talk about medicine. Medicine is really important. Medicine is even essential when you're really sick. Medicine is really good for you, but, but I don't know if I'd describe medicine as good. 
not like delicious by any means. It's something that I ought to take. It's something that I ought to be regularly engaging in if I'm sick, but it's not something I'm going to like crave by any means. And sometimes I talk about the Bible like that, like this is something you really need to do. This is something that's important. I really should be reading my Bible more often. Those kinds of phrases. I don't often talk like I crave this. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's not the way I think about this, I confess a lot of times, but the psalmist says it's true. This isn't just important, it's delightful, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. And again, the rest of the Bible confirms this. Jesus himself says this, that the words that come from him, which are the, the commands from his mouth and indeed the entire Bible, that those words bring joy to us. Here's what he says in John 15, 10 through 11. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And in Colossians 2, 16, Paul uh, holds this idea of dwelling on God's word and he ties that together with songs of gratitude, that those two things go hand in hand. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And then there's this really amazing moment in Luke 24 where the resurrected Jesus appears to these two disciples of his who are walking along the road to Emmaus. And in the moment, the disciples don't know that he's risen from the grave yet. All they know is that the Messiah that they were following, that, that he has just been crucified by the Jewish and Roman authorities, and, and that when he died, all their hope for Israel died with him. So they're walking along the road discussing this when Jesus comes up next to them and, and he begins to talk with them as well about these things. And, and, and they tell him about the Messiah that just died. And then he kind of says, you are so foolish and slow of heart. You're missing the big point of the scriptures. And, and then Luke tells us that Jesus opened up the word of God and began to explain, starting with Moses, the law and the prophets, all the way through all the things concerning himself, all the things about the Messiah. And, and later, when he reveals himself to them and then he leaves, these two disciples look at each other. And I love this verse. These two disciples look and they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, it is in seeing Jesus in the scriptures that their hearts come alive, when they're able to see the truth, when it's explained to them properly, when they can understand what's going on with the Son of God as the scriptures declare to them, something in them happens and their hearts begin to burn within them. And that, of all the things the Bible does, that is what makes the Bible most amazing, is that it points us to the God that we were made for. In the scriptures, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the Son who is reconciling us back to the Father and making all things new again, including us. And that is beautiful. That's what makes the Bible so important. That's what makes it so good. Know this, that there is no magic in this book itself. We don't 
read this book so we can be more spiritual, or we don't read this to be more fulfilled or just encouraged. We don't read this to build up favor with God so that he'll think a little bit more highly of us because we're committed to this. No, we read this so we can know the living God. This is why the author of Psalm 119 loves it so much, and this is why we can too. There are two ways, actually, to read Psalm 119, two kinds of lessons you could come away with on this. The first way is to read Psalm 119 as, as sort of a standard for how a person ought to feel about God's Word and to kind of use it as something that I can kind of compare myself to and go, do I talk this way about the Bible? Do I, do I feel this way about the Bible? Do I love it like he loves it? Do I, do I cherish it like he cherishes it? And, and there's room for that. I think there's something good about doing that and being convicted when we see someone else love the things of God well. I think it's good for us to ask, is there something missing in me that I don't? That's, that's wonderful. And truthfully, when I began writing this sermon, that was kind of the angle I wanted to take. Hey, can we love it like this author loves it? But I don't know that that's actually the reason Psalm 119 was written. And I don't think that's the way that it's meant to be read. The second way is not to see this as something to compare our own hearts to, but to see this as an invitation to come and experience the Word of God the way He does. The idea of Psalm 119 is not for you to read it and then look in at yourself and go, what's wrong with my heart that I don't like it as much as He does? What's missing in me that I don't love it that much? That's, again, okay, but the idea is not to look here. The idea is actually to look at this. He's not holding your heart out to you. He's holding the Word of God out to you going, can you see how good this is? Do you see what you're missing if you don't have this? Do you see what a good gift God has given us in giving these words to us? Guilt will, frankly, not get you very far. If you go with the first way of reading Psalm 119, I'll tell you what's going to happen because I've done it so many times myself. If you go with the first way, then what you're going to do is you're going to feel bad that you don't read the Bible well enough and you're going to really commit to it this week because you feel bad. And that's going to last you about six, seven, maybe, maybe nine or ten days. And then slowly you'll begin to fizzle out. You could actually go a step beyond guilt and go to resolve and a real commitment to this. And you could go into discipline and that will get you further. You'll last longer with real commitment. You'll last longer with real discipline, but even that will only take you so far. Uh, hear me, I, I want you to be disciplined. I, I want you to make a plan. You need that. I want you to start and get involved reading. I want you to continue to, to, to make it a consistent part of your life. But discipline itself will only get you so far. In order for us to be the kinds of people that make this a deep and lasting part of our lives, we're going to need to fall in love with it. We're going to need to see it for how good it is. And the resolve is simply there to get us to the love. The discipline is there to carry us until we can see how much we love it. And then in those moments when our love for it wanes, when we don't crave it as much as maybe we should, the discipline is there to carry us through those moments. Those times will come, but the ultimate goal is that my heart would be changed as I read through this and as I grow to love the things that it's teaching me about God and himself. That's what we desire and that's what I want to challenge you towards this week is, is not 
not feel bad and start reading it more. My, my challenge to you is see how good this is. There's this prayer in Psalm 119, actually. It might be verse 8 off the top of my head. I, I don't know. It says, open my eyes so I can see the wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes, Lord. Here's, here's what I, I want to encourage you towards this week. Uh, if you don't already have somewhere that you're reading, that you would just spend some time at Psalm 119. Uh, that you would open it up and, and spend a little time each day in it and just ask God to ignite a passion for you, a passion in you for his word, that you might begin to love it, that you might be able to see it for what it is. Uh, I want you, if you don't know how to read God's word, I want you to ask somebody. I want you to find someone in our church who can help you. I, I want you to be disciplined. I want you to come up with a plan. I want you to do all those things. But more than anything, I, I want you, um, I want me to grow and love this in new ways so that I can come to it over and over again and find the joy of it. You see, there are some things, church, that are just too important to neglect. There are some things that are too good, too beautiful, too wonderful for us to neglect. Let's not do that anymore. Here's kind of the cool thing about Psalm 119, or maybe you could say the crazy thing as we go into our time of communion is that when the psalmist is writing these words uh, about how much he loves the Word of God, about how beautiful it is, a lot of the really good stuff hasn't even been written yet. Like when he says things like, your word is sweeter than honey in my mouth, you know, he's more than likely talking about Leviticus or Deuteronomy, the things that we sometimes kind of grit our teeth and bear it as we try to read through those things. No, he sees even that as beautiful. But the crazy thing is they haven't, the, the best words haven't even been written yet. Like he doesn't even know about Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't even know yet about Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't even know about 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. Those are some life-giving words. Those are some amazing words. And those are words that you and I get to come together every week and revive our soul with. When we come to a time of communion to remember what Jesus has done for us. Again, the point of the Bible is not the Bible. The point of the Bible is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who saves us and makes us whole. And that's what we want to do at this time as we take communion together to remember that. So... Let's take the bread, brothers and sisters, and eat. Let's take the cup and remember the blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Drink, church. Let me pray for us as we move into a time of worship. Dear God, I thank you for your word. And I pray what I have prayed throughout this week for myself and for our people. Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see the beauty and the wonders of your word, that, that we wouldn't just know we need it, but that we would grow to want it, that our hearts would burn within us as we see Jesus in the scriptures, 
And I thank you for pointing us to him through your word, that we might have faith, that we might know you, um, we might know you because of what he's done for us. We say this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
for our time of corporate prayer this morning. Uh, I thought it might be appropriate for us to just uh, pray one of the prayers found in Psalm 119, uh, praying for God to open up our eyes and hearts to his word. And, and some of the words in here are going to almost feel fake when you pray them. They do for me. Um, the, the words are aspirational to some degree about my commitment to want to obey the word of God, even if I know even if I know that's hard for me. And so some of the words in here are a prayer just for help. And so we're going to actually pray this prayer twice. Uh, I want to pray this prayer first, um, in, uh, first uh, silently and personally. So the words are going to come up on the screen, the original words of Psalm 119 that are written in kind of the individual, personal, me and I and those things. And I'm going to let you read those words for just a few minutes and pray those prayers out, asking God to make that true of you. And then I will lead us in a time of praying the words as a body together. So take just a moment, read through those words and pray them. Now, if you will, join me in praying this prayer together. I know through the screen, it may be a little odd, but I ask that there in your living room, your bedroom, wherever, that you will pray this prayer out loud with me to God. Teach us, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and we will always keep them. Help us understand your instruction, and we will obey it and follow it with all our hearts. Help us stay on the path of your commands, for we take pleasure in it. Turn our hearts to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn our eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give us life in your ways. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 